So Nintendo is doing it again. I don't know if you guys have been following the SNES Classic Mini news, but it's basically, uh, once again, a complete mess, at least in the United States. Uh, uh, so I've been keeping track of all the news coming out of, of America about the SNES Mini and people trying to put in a pre-order online. And there's an article in the, in the show notes that uh, is going to give you a bit of a timeline, but basically a lot of pre-orders went out overnight a couple of days ago, like at 3 a.m. People didn't know they were coming, you know, they, they were going online. And so a lot of people put in some pre-orders on... I think on Walmart or maybe Best Buy anyway, a couple of stores. And then there were issues with the websites that canceled the pre-orders. And basically for the past 48 hours, people have been struggling from any online store, whether it's Amazon, GameStop, Best Buy, Walmart, and uh, Target even, um, to have the, their pre-orders be accepted by those retailers. And in the meantime, Nintendo's also shared uh, a... A video like a explanation of the features of the SNES Mini, and uh, there's a rewind feature that allows you to uh, go back in time, either a few seconds or a few minutes, depending on the game. If you missed an item or if you died in the game and want to try again, which is pretty cool. Uh, so there you go. Well, we have a little bit of a nice, interesting welcome news, and the usual uh, "Why am I not surprised?" mess that Nintendo created with the retail situation. So I, I wonder, like, who is to blame here? Like, is Nintendo to blame about this? I don't know, man. I, I don't know. They, they say they're making, like, what, what was their uh, statement? Uh, considerably more units than the uh, NES Mini? So in theory, they're making more, but all these websites are failing in some way or another to accept people's pre-orders. Uh, I saw photos of people waiting in line at GameStops and for like a couple of hours. <laughs> and feels then so sad GameStop. to wait in line to make a pre-order. Yes, especially for an old console yeah. that is launching again. And all I, all I can think of really, uh, because this is totally not surprising to me but what i'm what i'm thinking of right now is sony and microsoft watching this situation the people are freaking out to buy a super nintendo and yeah. especially microsoft is struggling to sell the latest 4k console meanwhile online you know you go on twitter you go on on video game blogs there's everybody's freaking out about the snes mini pre-orders yeah it's like you can pre-order the xbox one x now right but nobody is talking yes, about can. that I mean, no. <laughs> probably because it's relatively easy, I assume, to pre-order that. Like, you don't have to sell your soul to even get close to the thing, um, because mm -hmm. Microsoft presumably have a better supply chain in place. But I think that, like, I mean, I believe, I genuinely believe that Nintendo have got this situation a little bit more under control. But pre-orders like this are always a mess, right? Like, pre-orders pre are a mess in general when you're dealing with quantities, because there's never going to, especially with this, like this this console, everyone believes they have to buy it immediately or they're never going to get it at all, right? So I think everyone is trying to buy it immediately. Um, and that, I think, is, is leading to the frenzy, right? Like the frenzy continues because everyone believes if they don't buy it now, they're never going to get it. So it's I think it's like adding to the overall pressure of people trying to get the thing. It's like a vicious cycle. It's like a fractional reserve console, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you, you know, <laughs> so you've got money going into the system backed by stuff that doesn't even exist yet. Yep. 
So no one knows how many units Nintendo are going to make. Certainly the people who are selling them online have no idea how many are going to be made and whether their allocations will be honored. And just like with fractional reserve banking, if there's a run on on the bank, you know, <laughs> the bank's in trouble. <laughs> and there has been obviously one heck of a run on all of these shops. And once again, surprise, surprise, everyone wants one. Or it seems that way anyway, because I don't know about you guys, my timeline was absolutely full of irate Americans who <laughs> hadn't been able to get yeah. their, their yeah. retro console. Mine was not. <laughs> I have my pre-order in, right? Like, I have no idea if it's going to be fulfilled or ever, but, like, I was a Amazon tell me they've got one for me. But, like, this is, this is one of those things where, like, Whenever that comes, is fine. Like, this isn't something that I feel, like, desperately that I need to have on launch day. Like, I honestly, I don't even know if I want it, right? I don't, I don't actually really know if, if I, if I want this, but I've ordered this it anyway. This is what anyway. they call a first world problem, right? It, like, this is the worst. It's the, it's the worst <laughs> thing. It makes me such a terrible human being. Capitalism has turned you into this person, Mike. Uh, I think so. Y- you don't know if you want to buy things. But, but you I put the pre-order in anyway. <laughs> uh. I can try and redeem myself in in that like this Nintendo have released something even cooler SNES related in Europe, but I'm not yes. going to buy it even though I want it because oh. it's silly to buy. Oh no, I am. I oh, am. See now buy you can be bad and I can be good. Uh, everybody knows I'm the bad boy, and you're the more um, British, you know, somber. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm podcaster um so yeah i'm, I'm gonna get the the snes 3ds xl for sure this is the european version of the uh, famicom 3ds that launched in japan i think it was last year americans still have to wait for probably because the american snes is so ugly they're not gonna make a special edition anyway um <laughs> but, but uh, <laughs> just like when <laughs> mike mike don't laugh man don't laugh. Oh, that's, that's out of order. Y- you are in America right now. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to chuck me out. They're going to chuck me out. Don't, don't so make ugly. fun of the American SNES, Mike. It's against your interests. Oh, wait. Hang on. There's someone at the door. I think it's the retro gaming police. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> anyway, just like I did when the Game Boy Advance SP SNES version, I think it was the NES version, came out. And I bought one, and I loved it. Um, I'm going to get this one. It comes out in October, I think October 13th. So a month later, uh, a month a month after Metroid Returns launches on the 3DS. So perfect excuse to play this final batch of 3DS games, Metroid and Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, you know, on the on the SNES themed 3DS, it's a, come on, Mike. It's a yeah, perfect reason. You can to buy tell one. me if Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon are worth playing. Like this, this might be the first Pokemon game since the release that I'm. I'm not. I'm not rushing for it because I just I don't want to play another 3DS game. But we'll see. So I mentioned the Xbox One X. So uh, pre-orders are available now, right? The thing's coming out in November, but I think this week pre-orders came out, and there was a bunch of news coming out from Gamescom. Um, Partly that they're going that Microsoft are going to be like they did the day one edition of the Xbox One. I think it was Xbox One. Uh, they're doing a Project Scorpio edition. It's a limited edition of the Xbox One X. Yeah. So if you pre-order the thing, your Xbox One X says Project Scorpio on it, and they print it on the uh, on the controller too. Yeah, that's actually very nicely looking. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, I'm not sure I'm gonna 
buy an Xbox One X. Uh, but uh, if I if I were in the market for one, this is the version that I would get because I think the, even the texture on the console and you get a vertical stand, you get the custom logo. I think it's very nice. Uh, but really, the uh, in, in more Xbox One X news, uh, Microsoft shared an official list of uh, the a hundred game or so that are getting 4K announcements. Um, there's some obvious names in the list, and on the other hand. There's a tiny bit of bad news that Crackdown 3 has been delayed again. So I don't even know how many years this game has been delayed at this point, but it's not launching when Microsoft said it would launch. And uh, this sort of adds to the string of bad news that the Xbox One uh, faced in the the past few months, I think. Yeah, this is... um, Crackdown, I mean, it's been delayed a bunch now. I think it's been at two E3s now, maybe three. Uh, but what, one of the bigger issues here, I think, for Microsoft is no matter whether this was going to be a good game or not, it was one of the only games that they have exclusivity for because it's a it's a Microsoft published game. So it this is I don't know. I feel like that this is a um, this is not a good thing for them. This is not a good look. I don't think for for Microsoft now to mm-hmm. to basically to lose one of their biggest or what they're promoting as one of their biggest like kind of first party titles has now been delayed but they have um they have got something pretty cool in in the hopper i guess where i mean we've spoken about player unknown battlegrounds right and how i've been wanting to play that and it's going to be on xbox well now it's been announced that microsoft are going to be the publisher of the game for console yeah, yeah. which i mean that that may keep it exclusive that may keep it exclusive to Xbox. Yeah, so that's still not clear um, because the developers, uh, the folks at Bluehole, they still haven't said nope. in regard to PlayStation if it's going to come out or not. Uh, just that when it launches on Xbox, Microsoft is going to be the publisher. And of course, you know, Microsoft as the publisher is going to give resources, time, money, whatever to the developers to make this happen. So I don't know if Microsoft is also going to pay for exclusivity on consoles. It will make a lot of sense and it would create a lot of goodwill in the, in the gaming community now that, you know, Microsoft needs something to sell people and, you know, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds um, sold like 8 million copies in 6, 7 months, which is pretty impressive. And this is the kind of, I think this is the kind of stuff, uh, you know, uh, we talked about this in the past when consoles are struggling, reach out to the indies and get some you know, fr- some fresh content on your online store, give people something. I mean, PlayStation has been there, uh, Nintendo's done the same with the Switch, basically, uh, and it looks like Microsoft may have to do the same to not keep the Xbox One alive, uh, but to just make it so that people can play something and yeah, can give it a buy shot new arm, stuff. Right? You yeah. Know, that, yeah. That, that there's definitely some work to do to to reinforce that people that are buying this console will have some cool stuff to play on it. I mean, and those the 100 games that are going to be getting the 4K enhancements, that's a pretty good start, right? There's a lot of really good games on that list. So that is one thing, but but having new stuff is good. Yeah, uh, have you seen the trailer for Jurassic World Evolution that's also coming to Xbox? Yeah, I have, um, and uh, that's well. That's going to be an Xbox, PC, and PlayStation Four as well. Like, yeah, I think yeah. Microsoft had the ability of showing the game off initially, but it's going to be on on everything. Uh, 
I, from what I can see, this is kind of like a uh, theme park world type game, right? You're creating a Jurassic Park in a kind of theme park environment. I think it's made by the company that made Planet Coaster, I believe. It's, yeah. uh, it's Frontier. 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 Yeah. 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 The people behind Elite. Yeah, so it's a pretty serious team behind it. So it's interesting. I would. This is a game that I would check out. I tell you what, this is a game I'd want on iOS. This is this for me though. Like that, this is the type of thing that I would want on the iPad. Like a, a game like that, I think. I almost thought you were gonna be the dinosaur in the game, not the theme park creator. You want to be the I, dinosaur. I want. I want to be the T Rex killing people, man. That's that. That's the dream of my dinosaur game. Like you're actually the dinosaur, and you can chase people, kill people, you can destroy walls. That would be amazing. Instead, you get you, you need to be the creator, and I guess make sure the dinosaurs don't actually kill people, which is kind of a bummer. I'm sorry that you know? nobody's giving you the T Rex sim that you desire so greatly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I will be a T-Rex in Mario Odyssey, so uh, that compensates for, for something. Oh, gosh, I yeah. Think. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> it's next ma- next week's Mario and Rabbids, right? It's like oh, next, yeah, man. next oh, Tuesday. Yeah. Yes, I, ca- I really can't wait for that. I've been, you know, I've been staying away from uh, previews, f- new game footage. I just saw that there's going to be um, a season pass that gives you, I think, more items now some extra or maybe content i think some extra content or missions next year and in the fall you'll probably get more characters i think so yeah uh, i'm really excited about that all right so with that being kind of our news out of the way for the week uh shahid i know that you want to talk about crunch whatever that is it sounds like some kind of breakfast cereal so we'll find out what that is in a moment <laughs> uh, i just want to take a moment to thank squarespace for supporting this week's episode use the offer code insert coin at checkout and you'll get 10 percent of your first purchase squarespace lets you easily create that website for your next idea they give you a unique domain name award-winning templates access to 24 7 support and so much more you can make your next move with squarespace they are the only one platform that will let you build any type of website there's nothing to install no patches to worry about and no upgrades needed if you're looking to create an online store a portfolio a blog a gallery maybe even a site for an upcoming event or a club or a society. Squarespace has everything that you need. I'm using Squarespace right now to build a website for my wedding next year so that the attendees of our wedding, they'll be able to go to a website that can RSVP there and get all the information that they need. And Squarespace has pre-built templates like set for weddings. So I select one and I just change all the things that I need. It's super, super simple. And then I have a really beautiful website just ready to go. Like I'm really excited about it actually. One feature I like is the RSVPs. People fill it out on the site and we can have it all plugged into a Google Sheet. It's all automatically done. It's really, really powerful stuff. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. You can sign up for a free trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. Then use the offer code insertcoin at checkout when you sign up for a plan and get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. We thank Squarespace for their support of Remaster and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. There's a video game writer by the name of Walt Williams who's releasing a, a book about well, crunch in the video games business called Significant Zero. And this was covered, kind of, by a recent piece in Polygon that caused an awful lot of fuss on the interwebs Mm -hmm. from many of the developers that I'm in touch with. Though, 
I think Williams did within a couple of hours point out that he had actually been misrepresented. The way it came across in the Polygon piece was that Williams kind of glorified crunch. And I guess a question for many people who don't know crunch from an arbitrary breakfast cereal is what the heck is crunch? Well, that's a really good question. I think we'll try and cover it at some point in the next few minutes. But I think it's worth going back to a very famous prior example of where the perils of crunch were illustrated in a very famous um, missive called, well, I can't even remember what it's called, but it was, everyone referred to it as EA Spouse, purportedly by the significant other of a programmer at EA, talking about how crunch or extremely long hours for protracted periods had had a savage effect on the mental health of uh, EA spouse's husband or significant other. I can't remember if they were um, uh, married at the time or whether they were in a relationship. That's, I guess it's unimportant, but whatever, the uh, missive was referred to as EA spouse, very famous, very famously indeed. I guess it's a good idea to talk about what crunch is. I mean, do you have any idea what crunch is? I would assume that it is a method of development for trying to crank something out quickly. That's how it sounds to me. I think it's more um, like the final extended stage of development, like when you got to hit a deadline. And so like the final two months, your manager or whatever says, okay, you're going to... You're going to work uh, 12 hours a day for the next, probably even more for the next two months because we got to go, you know, we got to go golden or whatever with this game uh, in 60 days. And so basically people don't see their families anymore and they spend all day at the office. That's my idea of crunch. All day, all night, and for four weeks on end, on weekends, sleeping bags under desks, sometimes no sleep at all. Sometimes months at a time, and sometimes more than that. So what started out as significant commercial pressure to complete a game in order to hit a publisher deadline, failing which the studio could be punished in some way, which would mean any of the potential profit margin available to a developer was going to be eaten up, or potentially the game could be slipped uh, and as a result canned and therefore the studio would be in financial peril. What it boils down to, and this is controversial and it's my opinion, is the reason this happens is A, poor planning, and at many times in the past, B, just because people thought in senior positions that that's what they could get away with getting development teams to do. Now, there's a really interesting series of articles in Gama Sutra who've kind of brought this to the fore again. And it's uh, titled The Game Outcomes Project. I think there's going to be a link in the show notes about that. It's a yeah, series maybe. of five articles that looks at the metrics um, very loosely. You know, it's not really a scientific study. But in an extensive survey, they talked to a whole bunch of employees or former employees at teams where crunch had happened. 
and tried to correlate that with product quality. And they found that crunch was usually inversely related to product quality. So actually, <laughs> <laughs> crunching messes things up. And this is no surprise. It really is no surprise. Another reason crunch has happened is because in the past, you know, let, let, let's rewind a little bit. The most important thing to bear in mind here is that making video games is a creative endeavor. And for the most part, what you're doing is nailing several dozen jellies to the wall uh, while juggling um, flamethrowers or something. It is obscenely difficult to predict how long it's going to take to do a task in, in any video game programming project. It's hard enough in a non-artistic, commercial, technical, coding-related project. But in video games, where you're trying to entertain people, it is ludicrously difficult. And this is why sometimes new projects or ambitious projects that have some kind of new technical or creative feature can slip not just weeks, not just months, but sometimes years. And several things happen. If that happens and you have crunch happening over that time, you can imagine the effect of morale on the team. I've been in such situations. So there was a time in the past where I was working on um, milestone five or six on a project. I was a lead on this project, so I was entirely to blame. And there was one point at which we pulled a 72-hour stint to hit the milestone. Me and a small group of people from that team. I was wow. awake for the whole 72 hours. And wow. uh, one, I don't know, um, lots of caffeine, obviously. Uh, the 24 hours before the milestone was due, I wrote my letter of resignation. Um, and I wrote that letter of resignation because I, I, I wanted to hand that in in case we didn't hit the milestone because it had been made very clear to me that if we don't hit the milestone, it's con and, and if the milestone was not of good quality, then it was conceivable that the game was going to get canned. And being the lead on that project, I could not conceive of that happening given how much crunch the team had already gone through. But nevertheless, uh, about three or four people stayed with me for the 72 hours, only one of them for the full 72. The others were there most of the time. Uh, there was no sleep for me and at least one other person for 72 hours. And you know what? We hit the milestone and it was a really great milestone and we were elated. But within two milestones, the project was canned anyway. So I look back at that and I think, you know, this has happened on many projects. And what was going on there? It, was that healthy? No, it wasn't. It was really unhealthy. So why did I like it? You know, there are a lot of people who say crunch can actually bring teams together. Mm -hmm. It is necessary in a creative pursuit. But I think it's a kind of addictive behavior. What you're doing is you're trying to recreate. In fact, you're not even doing it consciously. You're trying to somehow subconsciously recreate the kind of feeling that a small tightly knit unit gets in a situation of extreme stress like a battle or a war which if you think about it is really unhealthy because you're thinking if you do this against all odds you're an absolute hero and if you fail it doesn't matter because you work so damn hard you went down a martyr or a hero you know you you can't lose either way because you 
you went beyond the call of duty to perform an act of heroism. Well, this is madness. This is utter madness. It happens everywhere. It's extremely unhealthy. And given that we know that, in general, product quality is inversely related to the amount of crunch, why does this happen? Well, there are several reasons. The industry is very young, so people are just not very good at planning. The other reason, I would say, is that there's not a lot of good leadership. And the other is, a lot of people in senior positions or commercial positions simply don't understand the creative process and how complex and interlocking all of the pieces are in game development, especially at AAA level. It's astoundingly hard. So I guess another thing to look at is, well, how do people actually hit their deadlines then? Sometimes it's through exceptionally good planning. It does happen. But then the other time, especially at AAA level, is because, well, it's been done before and they're iterating. So version 2, 3, and 4 builds on a base that's already pretty solid. And therefore, the changes are much more predictable. You know, you've nailed 11 of the jellies to the wall. There's only one jelly left. You know roughly how long that's going to take. Should happen in a year or two, and you can predict that. I mean, I understand a lot of the the arguments for it. Like, I get, I get it, right? Like, because if you're in the situation where you have, you're inside of a structure, right? Like a big corporate entity, like a large game studio. Deadlines are very important, and they're placed on you. And if you have to meet the deadline, and there are still all these things to do, like what else are you going to do, right? Like you've got to meet the deadline. So, like I understand why people do this. Like I have done it with projects that I've been working on, right? Like I've got a couple of days left and I will just do everything I can to get it out of the door in time. Maybe that means sitting down in front of the Mac for 10 hours to work on an editing project, right? Like I've done stuff like that. Or, and I understand as well how people can say that it's a bonding experience. Like I can see how if you're working in a team and you're all together for this period of time and working on it, like I, I get why people find it that way. But of course, like, this isn't healthy behavior. Like people shouldn't, you shouldn't do this. Like there, there are so many reasons why you shouldn't do this. And I especially think that like if you're working inside of a company, like a real company, doing something like this is really kind of just, it's not good. It's not a good thing to ask people to do, right? Like if it's your thing, if it's like you, the thing that you own and it's only you that's doing it, you're only asking yourself to do it. And, and I feel like that is a healthier transaction than a company, a big company with legal representatives asking people to work for 20 hours nonstop. Like, I feel like it's a really awkward thing to do. It's like I see both sides of it, honestly. I, I, I do. But I, you know, I ultimately come down on the side of this is not good for people and it's probably, as it's shown, not good for game quality. Like, otherwise, video games would just be made in one big stint. Right, like that, you wouldn't work yeah. on them for two years. You'd work on them for one month, and then everybody dies at the end. Like that—that's yeah. how video games would be made. That, but they're not, are they? You know, no. Uh, yeah, it's a highly iterative process. It's a highly creative process. It's a highly interdependent process, often involving way more people than many other creative processes. But you make a very good point. How come it feels okay to work on your own thing for long periods of time? How does that, why is it that that feels better than when you're working for a, a larger corporate entity 
which you don't control. What it comes down to is a psychological principle called locus of control. People seem to feel happier about their lives when they're in control of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was at PlayStation, I worked extraordinarily hard. And the reason that didn't feel like abuse is because, A, no one made me do it. B, I got to define the mission. And C, I had an extraordinary amount of latitude, the type that I did not have in my first few years at the company. So the difference was I got latitude to work the way that I thought I needed to work to get this job done. It was unhealthy. And the downside of working in that kind of situation for a large corporation is that you're not really in control of your upside. You are in control of your output, though. Nobody else is forcing you to do that. And you're also in control of the results that you achieve for the company. And when you do it for yourself, the huge benefit of doing it for yourself is that if you get it right, then you have much more leverage on the upside. And because of that, because you feel much happier, it's exactly like when you're in a car, right? You're in a car, you're in the passenger seat, and someone is driving the car really badly. It feels awful. Even when someone is driving the car well, but fast, outside of your comfort zone, it feels awful. But if you're a bad driver, I'm not the greatest driver in the world, so I'll put my hands up here. And if I'm driving and I cause my passenger some kind of upset, you know, maybe I took a corner too hard or accelerated too hard or I, or I brake too hard, it feels fine for me, but not for the passenger. It's all about locus of control. I'm controlling the wheel, I'm controlling the gas, I'm controlling the brakes. It's exactly the same with running a company, whether you're working in the company or for the company. It's very different when it's your company. And I feel like it's 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 a little bit more acceptable that way as well. Like if it's going to happen, yeah. if it's going to happen, mm. that's this is the way it happens, right? Like if it's you. Yeah, it's... it's- it's still not it's still not good though and and it goes back to the first point of uh, and I'm speaking from personal experience of it means you planned badly uh, to yeah. begin with um because many times in the past especially for my you know, long form articles and reviews I was sure I was going to be able to you know finish the story in 2 months or 6 weeks or whatever and instead, to hit the deadline, I had to basically work insane hours, like 15 hours a day. I I wouldn't go, you know, outside. I wouldn't spend time with my girlfriend. I wouldn't spend time with my friends. Um, and that wasn't that wasn't good. But and I made it happen in the end, but at, at a cost that I'm not sure if in in the long run was even worth it. Um, and that that sort of that problem grows exponentially when you have you know when you have a family when you have kids to spend time with or when you have you know for example when you have puppies <laughs> even and i think my main problem was the, the, the i was the boss that was sort of self inflicting this deadline and these crazy hours uh but my fault was that i planned badly and that i couldn't manage myself and so I think whether it's, you know, you're an indie, like you're a solo creator, you know, like we are, or if you're a manager and you're actually managing people, 
I think the at least one of the core problems has to be bad management always. Uh, and so it's also why I think, you know, from my personal pr- perspective, to avoid this kind of personal crunch that I don't like, I've, uh, time tracking has been so useful to me to sort of have a, have a hard number that I can look at every day that tells me here's how much you've been working. Because even if, it, even if it's just my work, it just I'm, I'm sitting down with my iPad and I'm doing stuff, it doesn't mean it's, it's acceptable that I, that I don't spend time with my family, you know? Well, here's a question for you then, Federica. Like, the mm. project that you're working on is your iOS 11 review. Do you right now, genuinely yes. believe that you will not be finishing this in a crunch state? That's that's the hope, at least, uh, because ev- everybody I talk to, we're trying to. I'm, I'm, here's my answer. My goal is to finish this with less crunch than in previous years. I think I want to do like one step at a time, because last year in the final week of the project, I was still writing, I was still editing stuff. Meanwhile, I was taking screenshots and I was recording videos and I was taking care of the website, you know, the special design. We finished the special layout of the iOS 10 review last year on the morning of the iOS 10 release date. So my, I will probably still be doing some crunch, but I want to do less than last year. And maybe ideally, if I'm planning correctly, I should be able to, you know, over the next couple of years to understand my time management and my 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 capabilities better so even if i can have like a 10% improvement compared to last year i would still call that a a win you know cuz like my theory here is as long as deadlines exist for creative projects there will always be a crunch period you know i think many developers accept that i don't think there's an issue with uh cranking for a deadline because a lot of good things come out of that you know there's there's a pressure of a deadline that also sometimes causes you to do your best work your most focused work to discard that which is truly unnecessary and if you think about it modern agile methodology is very much about leveraging the idea of a two-week milestone it's not really called a milestone it's called a sprint right but you have to drop stuff strategically and ensure that everything is very user focused very customer focused for the end of that sprint and so that that's really important the issue is not that so much the issue i think is that it has become expected for some companies and for some developers to have their staff crunch pretty much constantly you know 50 hours is a minimum and then there's the peer pressure. Somebody else is there pretty much all the time. You feel like you would not be pulling for the team if you didn't work as hard. But the interesting thing is, as the hours go up, especially remember, we're talking about a big difference between the three of us that all get to control our own output, control our own hours. We've got no one barking orders at us. Uh, we've got no external pressure apart from the standard financial pressure of running businesses, right? That's very, very different to these programmers who are just, they're part of a team or artists who are part of a team, doesn't matter what the job role is. 
I'm just using programmers as an example because they're the most egregious uh, example of, of crunch, uh, from, certainly from a historical perspective. The whole culture of programming comes uh, with, with that background. And the, the issue is that everybody who's in that environment feels tremendous peer pressure just to put in the time, and yet that whole culture doesn't necessarily produce more work. If you look at Japan, for example... Uh, a word was invented for this culture of extreme overwork due to peer pressure. Uh, karoshi, you know, the um, uh, death through overwork, basically. And we've had several examples of people literally collapsing, dying at the desks because they were there all of the time. I had a friend uh, visit me from, uh, from, from the US recently. He talked to me about some of his time in Japan, where the notion that you could leave before 9pm was just ridiculous. People look at you like you were insane. So th this culture exists in a lot of places. It's more than just, you need to do this to hit a deadline. It's just, it becomes expected. You need to be working this hard. There's a whole presentee presenteeism thing. And it's, it's really unhealthy and really toxic. What kind of life could you have in that kind of environment? And the other point I'd like to talk about here is the benefits of keeping a very tight schedule. If, if you think about the way Parkinson's law works, right, that work expands the time available to it, well, it works the other way too. So you know how it is, right, the day before holiday, you're insanely productive. Like suddenly you've ticked off 35 things on your to-do list. <laughs> yep, you I'm know? going through that like, right how now. How did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you can leverage that if if you say, you know what, today I'm going to work six hours. Tomorrow I'm going to work six hours. I'm going to do that for five days this week and the weekend I am not touching. Well, something in your mind goes, oh, wow, I've got nothing to fall back on. Right. If you know you're not you haven't got the evening to eat into. If you make commitments in advance to make sure that you've got no evening to eat into, several really interesting things happen. The first is that you're getting to leverage Parkinson's law the other way. So work will also shrink to the time that you restrict it to because you will find ways of becoming much more focused. You will do that which is truly essential and you will cut everything else out. I mean, if you're working in the office, I say working in inverted commas, if you can see me flapping my fingers in the air, for 12, 14, 16 hours. Let's face it, most of that time you're not working. You're upset. Your productivity is low. Maybe you're making some personal calls. You know, maybe you're chatting to colleagues. Maybe you're, you're bitching on Slack or something. You know, that's what's going on. You're not actually that productive. But if you're working six hours like an insane, crazy person, someone comes in and traps you. No, man, I got a holiday tomorrow. I got to get back to this. Sorry. Let's talk when I'm back from holiday. You know, if you give it that mentality, suddenly your productivity goes through the roof and it becomes less about the hours you put in and more about what you put into those hours. There's more and more evidence to suggest that not crunching when making a video game is not just healthy for the people involved, which of course is the key thing here, but it's also good for the game itself. Destiny 2, for example, didn't have anywhere near the crunch of any of Bungie's previous games. After 13 years of crunching, they decided enough was enough and they changed their management protocol. And that's at the very, very highest level of the industry. Smaller developers do it too. Companies like Relentless in the past, Future Lab currently, 
and of course my friends at Double Eleven do not have a crunch culture. In fact, Double Eleven actually pay overtime, which is unheard of in development. Now, why is this important? Well, all of these companies have created high quality games, so it is possible. With the right discipline, with the right focus, with the right environment, with the right incentives, to create excellent video games without crunching, it's just a matter of having really great management, really great leadership, and a clearly defined mission of how you go about making things. So, if it's possible for these studios, it's possible for others as well. 